Open source software has become the rule for how software is written, rather than the exception. OSCON is O'Reilly's open source conference, where companies and individuals talk about where the open source world is going. Rachel Rumeliotis is the chair of OSCON, and she joins the show today to talk about the state of open source and how the conference has developed since she started working at O'Reilly. And speaking of that, we are giving away a free ticket to Velocity New York, which is an O'Reilly conference. If you want to be entered to win that ticket, you can send a tweet about your favorite SE Daily episode about DevOps or web performance or another topic that's related to Velocity, and tag software underscore daily, which is my Twitter account, as well as hashtag VelocityConf, and that will get you entered into a raffle to win the free ticket to Velocity New York. I'm not going to take your email address or anything. It's just you send a tweet and you'll get entered to win that ticket, which is a $2,000 thing. Um, so also, if you're interested in collaborating with Software Engineering Daily, either as a host or if you want to contribute questions or just get involved in the community, you can go to softwareengineeringdaily.com. You can click on the link to collaborate, and you can also find links to the Slack channel as well as my Twitter and my email address. I would love to hear from you. I really want to know your feedback and who you are, what you're doing, what technologies you want to hear about. So send me an email. Rachel Rumeliotis is the chair of OSCON, the open source conference held by O'Reilly Media. Rachel, welcome to Software Engineering Daily. Thank you very much. Very happy to be here. OSCON has been around for 18 years. What has changed about the world of open source in that time period? What hasn't? <laughs> it is, um, you know, so when OSCON started, it actually started as a Perl conference. And Perl, of course, is an open source language. But it, it started shortly after sort of the open source um, term was coined. And, of course, like free and open software was, you know, probably a decade or so before that. But so OSCON kind of was a place where people were coming to um, talk about their passion, uh, which was open source software, which was the way that they think that um, software should be made, how we were going to make strides in software. And so OzCon was really a place where like minds could meet, they could make... Um, they could find each other that had different passions. And I guess the thing that's changed is, and we say this, and this has gotten more complicated since I think people have gone around saying this, but like at this point, open source has won in a lot of ways. Um, I started talking to some folks that were sort of around when OSCON first started and they were all like, Oh, so, you know, I was, I was getting into computers and I found Linux and Linux really opened my eyes wide because I could get in there and change things around. Today, it seems more like it's just sort of not even a question. Things are just open. So because of that, OSCON has changed in sort of that it doesn't have to, um, you know, tell everyone, I think, about open source at this point. But what I would like it to be and what we've been trying to do the last couple of years is make sure that open source stays healthy and sustainable. Um, yeah, so let's talk about that more. Because yeah. every developer is a consumer of open source, but most developers do not contribute back to it. What is stopping a wider amount of contribution to open source? 
That is a good question. So I think it's a couple of things. One, I think sometimes it's difficult to get your foot in the door and find the right project to be a part of. I think it can be, um, it can be nerve wracking. You know, if you find someone and, and, and someone isn't necessarily the nicest back to you, then you might not go back. Um, so first of all, it's finding the right community. It's finding the right technology. Um, and then I think sometimes in different companies, there are some limitations with what they want you to do as far as contributing to open source, that it has to be a part of the company. Um, but I agree with you. That's one of the things that I worry about with open source is that it's not, it needs to be even more diversified. It needs to have even more voices to make sure that we're continuing to push forward. I don't want it to, um, just be, you know, the same people it, it always has been, not that they haven't been great, but I want new voices and I want to make sure that it isn't all sort of enterprise driven, that, um, that it's something that comes from, that there's still passion in there, that there's mm. still people looking to make, um, to make change and to make the next great thing and make it open source. Like the coolest thing lately that's coming, um, is the AI stuff, how that's been all open source. And I think we're going to see a lot of advancement quickly because it is open sourced mm. you're talking about tensorflow yeah tensorflow is an example um that's a great one i mean i just think that it was microsoft i believe and google threw open their their um ai engines and to me that makes a lot of sense because we're going to see stuff that would have taken 20 years um you know happen in two years because it's you know the multitude of brains working on it is um is just going to be amazing and push everybody forward. And it's going to, um, I think open source also brings about uh, competition. So, you know what I mean? If everybody's working on something and, you know, TensorFlow is the greatest thing in the world, then that's going to come to the forefront. If someone wants to make something better, they've got to build that community around it and they have to make something great. That's the thing mm. about open source too, that it's sort of the community is almost as important as the technology itself. Yeah, and the open source commercialization discussion is also quite interesting. Like Google open sourcing TensorFlow is not only great for the community, but it's obviously great for Google because sure. if everybody adopts TensorFlow and builds off of it and compounds interest on top of it, Google has the best level of expertise at the base of that compound interest um, ecosystem. Um, so let's let's talk about making the tent bigger. You've you've written about this, which means making open source more welcoming. What you're talking about in terms of you know getting getting more contribution. What steps is O'Reilly taking to make that tent bigger, and and how is OSCON leading to that tent enlargement? Yeah, so it's a couple it's a couple of things we did this year. I think we did the best we've done ever. So one is. Simply, you know, having chairs, having my colleagues and having the program committee of OzCon go out and tell more and different people about the call for proposals. I mean, that's where it really starts, right? You know, if we get, um, we, we generally get uh, 1,200 proposals, but this year it seemed like we just got proposals from people that I'm not sure if they had heard of OzCon. I'm not sure if they thought you know, oh, I can't, there's no way I can get my proposal accepted there. And we had over 50% new um, 
new uh, people speaking at OzCon that didn't hadn't spoken there before. And that was based on, uh, you know, average grades and everything. So that wasn't something like we were like, we're going to get to 50%. It was literally just like people were like putting in amazing proposals. So that's one thing, just making sure it seems like a really simple thing, but making sure that people know, yes, we do want to hear from you. Don't question yourself. So we definitely mm. want to hear that. Um, so that's one thing. I think another thing is having that reflected on um, the keynote stage. So the keynote stuff is um, something that my chairs and I put together ourselves. We wanted to make sure that that was something that this past time and in future that we have people from all over the place. We had someone telling a story about um, – how she got started in development. We had someone talking about, you know, open source over the past 20 years, someone that had been there, you know what I mean? So it's about different ages, different backgrounds, different experience, different technology. We have diversity scholarships, which is great um, to make sure that there are people that can come that maybe may not have been able to. Um, And those are something that we support and also our sponsors support. And the other thing that we started uh, this year, two more things. One was we had sort of like an open source 101 track, which did talk about how do you give your, you know, put your first contribution in? How do you start up a community? How do you talk to your manager about, you know, open sourcing something at your company? And then we also put together something called OzCon Contribute, which was basically we're going to have these eight projects a day. I think it ended up being um, anywhere from Python to Kubernetes um, to some smaller projects. The idea being like, this is a space you can come in. You don't have to know anything at all about contributing to open source, but we want you in here. When you leave, you will have contributed. So you will become a contributor. So we did do specific things. It's hard because OzCon is such a, a broad um, uh event, but we wanted to make sure that we had level wise, um, some really introductory open source stuff. And we wanted to make a point of telling people about that all the way up to some pretty hardcore, uh, technology stuff. There are probably some people listening who would like to contribute to a conference. They'd like to give a talk, and you're a chair at OSCON, which means that you help decide what kinds of content that you're going to highlight. What are the guidelines for what you do and don't accept at the conference? And what would you say to those people who want to get involved? That's a good question. So there's a couple of things. So if let's say microservices is something that's been super popular lately. I also chair the Software Architecture Conference. And so... We will have, so you might think, oh, I'm going to do a microservices proposal. And I'm not saying don't do that. However, that means we're going to get like 30 microservices proposals. So it has to be like the best of the best. It has to have, you know, a title that, um, that really catches our eye. It has to be very detailed. It has to talk about takeaways. Um, so that's one thing to think about. Like if you are putting in a proposal that you know, you think a lot of people are going to be putting something in. The competition is just fierce. So it isn't necessarily that your proposal isn't great. It's just that there's so many of them. Um, The other thing I would say is just in general that it's always good to, this is a mistake I see sometimes people do. It's always good to lead with, um, you know, here's this technique I'm going to discuss. 
that's going to help you do this with this technology. Like don't lead with the technology necessarily, because I think that will limit things. If you can lead, you know, lead with, um, you know, get more performance by doing this, this, and this with this, that would make more sense. Like I would, I would, um, I would look at that before I would look at like technology, brand name, advertisement. Um, (laughs) So those are really easy to spot and are, are not worth putting in. Um, But also, go ahead. How does the focus of OSCON change from year to year? So for a, for a while, we actually really shook it up a couple years ago. Um, It was always based in uh, language tracks And now it is more about sort of problem solution. And we're really trying to think about, you know, because open source is much more than just languages uh, and because it is so pervasive, you can basically have any problem and have an open source solution. So we started looking at at it like that. Um, so we have like architecture, data, performance. Uh, like I said, we had the 101 track. We've talked even now to something that's coming up a lot more than it has in the past is, um, you know, the business of open source. Like how do you start, you know, if you have a startup, you know, do you use it? Do you make part of that product open source? Is that how you gain um, and gain customers? Then do you have a layer of, you know, like the enterprise edition? So um, we try to be reflective of what developers are doing. Oh, and the other piece of that too is that, so the tracks, you should be like Python, Perl, whatever. And we know there's so many choices now. So people aren't necessarily identifying as, um, Perl or Python. It's more about the problems they solve. And then um, they can, you know, pick and choose whatever makes sense for that particular project. Yeah. And one thing that I found interesting about OSCON this year was that there was so much material about containers. It seemed like, <laughs> yes. uh, like every other talk was about containers. And in, in some sense, I mean, this makes a lot of sense because obviously containers are huge and transformative. Um, but like open source has a lot of different domains and there weren't very many talks on, for example, Hadoop or Spark. And, and I guess these are probably, this is probably because these topics can be discussed at Strata plus Hadoop. Um, do you feel like open source has kind of become this this entity that's so big that you can't really package it into a single conference and it just has to bleed into other things and... I don't know, but, you know, and why did, why was there so much focus on containers this year? So I think that's a fair point. I think it is hard to get everything in, honestly. And there's definitely things that we're like, we just can't do it. Um, containers seems to be, so first of all, you know, the first time we did start to put some container stuff in um, a couple of years ago, super popular. So we were like, oh, okay, people want this. And they continue to in the years. Like, so this past year, um, container stuff was, again, super, super popular. So, I mean, we kind of look at, you know, what's been popular and try to guess, you know, okay, has it reached sort of um, its zenith? Is it going down? What should we be moving to? Like, so I looked back, for instance, and I didn't think data necessarily. I thought more like, why didn't we have more AI stuff? Because that's sort of like the super cutting edge. Um, and the data, you're right. So the data stuff, um, you're right. There's definitely strata and that's definitely for more data centric people, but that's sort of like one piece of sort of, you know, Joanne average developer. Right. So it's hard. It's super hard. Like we just have to make decisions on, um, what a large portion of the developers will be interested in, which is why we do have a data track. 
But you're right. It's not. Go ahead. Are are you thinking about making a conference entirely about containers? Um, I don't know. So we have we have um, another conference called Velocity, which covers a lot of that. Like the it's basically web operations and DevOps. Um, so I don't think we have any any um, thoughts on doing that right now. So they cover that from the side of the spectrum of operations, and we try to cover it from the developer side of things. Hmm. Um, but like you mentioned, it's just such a big sea change as far yeah. as sort of like how people do things. So that's why you see a lot of it, and because it's super popular. <laughs> so like if we saw like all of a sudden a, a big spike with um, – Spark and and we do see that with our Strata event, our data event, um, but it's not. And, and to be fair, we did have like a data wrangling with our tutorial, I think, that did really well. So I try to learn each year. And and the one thing I guess I would say is this summer again, I will look at what did well, what's happening out there. I'll look at our other events, and I try to put together something that is constantly evolving now at this point because people are and. I try to hit all the high points, but you're absolutely right that it's it's impossible to do everything. Mm. You know, one thing I really like to do at these conferences is walk around the vendor booths because uh, well, for listeners who don't know, the vendor booth zone is the sprawling open area of software vendors. You have HP over here, Dell over here, GitHub, Google, Everyone is there at the vendor area, and you can walk up to each of these vendors and talk to them about their product offerings. You can get a feel for where each of these specific vendors sees the market going. What what are the goals of these vendors that are at the software conferences, and how does that work into the uh, the, the sponsorship deals that they make with OSCON? Mm-hmm. So my understanding with OSCON, I mean, I think there's a variety of reasons that uh, companies sponsor different conferences. My understanding with OSCON is that a lot of the reason they want to be there is for thought leadership and to let developers know that they have the tools and they're um, aware that developers use open source and that they want to see great developers. So it's a combination of like, hey, we're here remember us and we're doing open source just in case you didn't know. And here's our cool new stuff. And then also I think somewhat they're on the lookout for, um, you know, great people. I think a lot of times, um, sponsors are there to show off their wares, but also to find, um, great people to work for their company. And OzCon might be a good place for that because it is so general. They're looking for a bunch of different things. Um, but generally talking to, it's still it's still the main thrust of it is that they want to be a part of this open source community. And some of them might be right in the middle of it, like GitHub, like nobody would question that. And some might be people that are transforming into more open source companies like um, like a Cisco. Or it might surprise you, you know, we've had some interest recently from more financial institutions. So like Capital One was there and they have a lot of open source projects. So it's it's more about letting developers know about the choices that are out there that might not be super mainstream yet, but they are doing cool things. Hmm. And each of these companies, obviously, because they're at OSCON, they have their different open source business models or a business model that somehow consumes open source and needs some buy-in from the community to get some leverage out of the open source. 
What are the different open source business models that you're seeing? So that is also a good question because uh, that's kind of what I'm looking into now. So one is definitely the um, we're going to open source, you know, a certain level of this product. Uh, and then if you get to a point where, I don't know, you use a certain amount of memory or you need, you know, a certain amount of space or your, you know, users or something, then it gets to an enterprise level and then you have to pay for that and, and you get services along with that. So that's definitely one, one way to open source things. Um, and I think there's some, some sort of spectrum of that where it's, um, you know, if it's developer tools, they want to make sure that, you know, if you're in an ecosystem where, you know, everything is open source, like say Capital One, right? Capital One wants to be included in, um, you know, an app you're making. They want to make sure that it, that they have either the APIs or the libraries or whatnot to make it possible and make it easy, right, for um, developers to plug them into that. Mm. I think they also... Um, you know, and they're all in competition with each other. So I think they're trying to make it easy. I think they're trying to make it cool. I think they also, the other business model too, is that I think they realize that they want everyone, they want a community. That's a way to grow technology. So if they have a, if they have a community around a technology, not only is it going to be better and better, but it's also going to help them with the stuff that they do pay for. Another idea, another sort of business model I saw um, more recently was the idea that, you know, um, it was completely open source software, like a whole framework. And um, it made, you know, pulling other pieces of open source libraries and everything really easy so that you would use it on a certain chip, a certain piece of hardware that was not open sourced, like optimized for certain things. So to me, it's definitely about getting people into the different ecosystems um, or the flip side being like, include us, look how easy it is to use us. Yeah. When an enterprise is the main steward of an open source project, it can create this interesting dynamic with the community of that open source project what are the dynamics of that community? I mean, does how much control does the enterprise tend to have, and what is the relationship between contributors and that enterprise? It's really all over the place. I mean, so the latest thing is this idea of the foundations, which I don't know if you've heard of. So what big companies are the doing... Cloud Native Computing Foundation, for example? Yeah, yeah exactly. So some people, I mean, so enterprise has always been a part of open source. So that's one thing. Um, they've always given money. Google's always had, for instance, you know, like worked with Python a lot. Um, and now they have go and they have, you know, angular and all of these different things. Right. So they've also, they've always been a part of it. It's good that they are because they can get things rolling internally. And then, you know, they have good people working for them and then they, you know, put it out. So lately they've been doing these foundations where ostensibly it's so that it's not part of, you know, their regular sort of businesses, what I've heard is that, and I, I don't take a stance on this. I think there's room for a lot of different models, but the foundation model, in some cases, it seems like it's working really great because there's like a safe place for it. It gets um, uh, cultivated. People are brought in to surround it. There have been other um, instances where it seems like they're taking away some of the um, input that community individuals can give and that enterprise is having too much of a say in the future of something, the future of a project. So 
I don't know. That's that's one of the things I worry about, honestly. And I and I hope that we can do more in the coming years at OzCon to provide a place for sort of like the foundations and the people who are, you know, anti-foundation and enterprise and people new to the area can come and talk and figure out what's best for mm. open source. Mm. What are the kinds of software that cannot be built as open source? Do you see any trends there between what cannot Let be built? See. Well, what's interesting, someone said this to me, I can't take credit for myself, but someone said that open source is like the best when it's either bleeding edge technology or super old technology that nobody's like innovating on anymore. So, you know, the, the bleeding edge would be the AI stuff, right? And the, um, I don't even know what the like back end would be like, I don't know, like databases or something like standard sort of like no frills databases and, and people still need to use them, but, uh, you know, it's not necessarily something that people would be innovating on. So like as people find bugs and make updates and stuff like that. So as far as what could not be, I mean, it's interesting to see what's happening with the, the open hardware space. I think that's where you can sometimes get into sort of like proprietary chips and stuff, although that seems to be opening somewhat. Well, let's talk about broader open source discussions. We, we had a show with Jeremy Freeman not too long ago, and he discussed the role of open source in academia and how open source is affecting science. Mm-hmm. What is at the intersection of these two ecosystems, academia and open source? Well, I think that they both really benefit. I mean, to me, it's about people working towards a common solution um, and also learning from each other. So I think that software, um, you know, needs to be tested. It needs to be, um, you know, it needs to go in different directions. I think very much like academia, if, if they're doing trials and stuff like that. So I think it's more about, I don't know, I guess it seems like anti-capitalism because it's just like everybody help everybody. Um, but it just seems like the right way to make progress and I know that there there have been issues in academia um, with, you know, everything being free and the journals and stuff that are out there. Um, not necessarily, you know, putting up um, everything, everything out there and, and charging for it. And, um, you know, there's a lot of pharmaceutical. We had a, um, a keynote, I think. I think it was a keynote. It might have been like a night talk where someone was talking about sort of doing testing with pharmaceuticals and not finding the actual, like not giving out the actual findings. Do you know what I mean? This sort of like idea of transparency. Yeah. Um, so I think it's super important, obviously, like if it has to do with like medicine that you're going to take and stuff like, okay, no, this didn't actually work instead mm-hmm. of, you know, ostensibly like a company covering that up. So I think it's more about, these are complex things, like whatever subjects you're talking about, whether it's computers, whether it's, um, you know, chemicals that are going in your body. I don't think it hurts. I think we like transparency because we like to know what's going on within them. And I feel like it doesn't hurt the companies for some like random person to be like, hey, what about this mistake? Hmm. Ultimately. Well, well, it's interesting because, you know, traditionally we think of open source as this code is just code you go online you read through it and find bugs and fix things and make contributions but in the realm of science you know you're talking about pharmaceuticals 
it becomes more about open sourcing workflows, open sourcing the process of data gathering, self-documentation. Uh, it's more about exposure um, to to the work workflow rather than um, this this exposure of the explicit codifying of of computer code. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it's an interesting difference. Um, and then, there's also law. Uh, back in 2012, mm-hmm. the entirety of German federal law was put on GitHub. There was a, a show I did recently where I did some research about this topic. And since then, there have actually been a lot of discussions around what things we can govern in the open. I mean, there's Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies that are doing this with money. Right. How much are we going to be applying the open, like, where are we going to be applying the open source ethos in the future? Well, so we're, um, we're doing an OzCon in London in the fall. And I mean, the governments over in Europe are just open source all over the place. It's like, they're so far ahead of, I think, where a lot of people in the US would like to be. Um, So I think government is something that hopefully will spread. And I think that can be helped a lot, honestly, Um, because someone I was, I was reading something that like some like really critical, 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 um, computer quote, and kind of, I was like, that's scary. Like, does anyone know that still? And then I was also like, well, maybe they can't hack into it because it's COBOL and nobody, you know, codes that still. So I think government is a place we could see that. I do think that, I mean, not to jump on the IOT bandwagon, but sort of like industrial IOT type stuff. I could see, um, you know, sensor networks and, and open code and stuff like that helping, sort of older industries innovate somewhat. Um, so if it's, uh, you know, like water companies, um, the other thing I was kind of just starting to think about was sort of, you know, how speaking of water countries, I mean, water companies, like the whole infrastructure of the U S is sort of like crumbling. Like how could we partner sort of like open source, um, and, uh, you know, software development with sort of this, like, Uh, this crumbling infrastructure, how do we help make, um, you know, different materials sensing when a bridge is coming down? Can everybody get something to test their water? Stuff like that. Mm. Open source blueprints or something. Yeah. Hmm. So there's a lot of discussion around diversity in tech these days and conferences are where much of this discussion takes place, whether it's actually at the conference or on Twitter surrounding the conference what is your perspective on diversity in tech? Do you think that we're in a crisis? Are things getting better? Are they getting worse? I think from my perspective, I think things are getting better, but it it, it depends on what area you're in. Um, so for instance, OzCon, like I said, we basically just wanted to make sure that everyone of, you know, in all different areas that might not have been, you know, O'Reilly book buyers or knew about our conferences, knew about it um, and just spread the word wide. And that seemed to kind of rectify that. The other conference that I work on, um, Software Architecture, just seems to be a lot of like older guys. (laughs) And, And I'm not sure if that's just because we're still working up towards these are these are people that have been in the industry for like you know twenty to forty years and and I don't know if that's just sort of like um, you know women and minorities um, you know haven't been plentiful for that long yet um, but I know again with that so same deal with that 
conference, I want to make sure, like, obviously there are people out there, but I want to make sure that they know that they're welcome, that we want them there so that, you know, other people are inspired to, to give talks at these different places. So there's definitely areas, um, trying to think of other ones, you know, where I see a lot of diversity too, is uh, speaking of is like infrastructure and containers, which is pretty cool. Um, I do think it's getting better though. I really do. Um, at least I can see in the conferences that we give, um, that the, the ratio, um, between men and women is getting better. We're seeing lots more diversity and it's, um, it's cool to be a part of that. Yeah. It does seem like the industry is rising to the occasion, no matter how slowly it happens. It does feel like there's just, I mean, I get the sense of inevitability about it at this point. Um, so you mentioned the software architecture conference. How does your management of that conference compare to OSCON? So um, OSCON is obviously this massive sprawling thing. So that honestly, when I do other conferences, they seem easy by comparison. <laughs> um, so uh, software architecture is much um, smaller in scope. However, the OSCON and... Um, software architecture conference, like bump up against each other. Cause the, I, the reason we had started software architecture was one that sort of software architecture is constantly, um, renewing itself, how people are doing things. Like right now there's microservices, containers are playing a part in that. Um, you know, how do you update, how do you continue to evolve database archi uh, architecture? How do you make things reactive? Like looking at like the, um, the architecture of like Uber and Lyft, that sort of thing. But we specifically made it the architecture conference because you don't have to be an architect necessarily to be working in architecture. We're calling it sort of like the accidental architect. So you'll notice there's actually some crossover between the two conferences. There is an architecture track at OzCon. And then there you'll see over on um, the software architecture side, I've actually tried to sprinkle in a little bit of open source and um, some of the DevOps thing things. Um, but yeah, so they're they're different in scope, they're different in level somewhat, but I think that you know, it where, wherever you think is sort of the 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 core, the one where you get the most out of, you would still get something out of the mm. other one too. Um, you know, if you're into architecture. So what about the O'Reilly business as a whole? What is it like to work at O'Reilly and what is the what's the ethos of the company? What's the mission of the company? Uh, it's wonderful to work here. Uh, I wanted to work here, um, before I did, like, I was like, yeah, that's where I'm going to work. And so it was really exciting when, um, they hired me. It was about five years ago. And I recently was like thinking about, like, I was like, yay, I'm happy I work here. Uh, and then I thought to myself, I don't just work here. I like help to shape it. So that was pretty cool. But I guess I would say, you know, what we want, what we're really trying to do is, um, you know, help, help people and, and, um, move technology forward. And we have Tim, ha Tim O'Reilly has great, um, sayings that we, we try to, you know, live by, which are like create, create more knowledge than you capture, um, and stuff like that. I, and I guess I would just say right now, as we're sort of, we're doing a big push of sort of like content and stuff. And what I'm trying to do, there's lots of noise out there. There's lots of, um, people saying things we're trying to figure out that, for the people that are looking our way, you know, what are the best practices? What can help you save, you know, six hours, six weeks? What are the new things to look for? What are the choices? We're not, we, we're really trying to 
go beyond structural literacy, like, you know, there's like a ton of sort of like intro to Python courses, right? So one of our recent things has been like, okay, that's cool. You know, it's pretty easy once you know a language to learn another one. But like, how do you get a language and not just work with it, have it work for you? Like, what are the like five to 10 things that you can do in Python specifically that would be amazing? So we're trying to sort of like highlight that. We're trying to show um, how you transition from thing to thing. Like we talked about microservices. So, you know, I talk about that like every day, <laughs> like even my sort of like thing that's like, maybe you want to, um, you know, make this into a shorter word. You, you type it so often uh, that comes up microservices. But the idea being that a lot of people are dealing with an issue like moving from a monolith to microservices. So how do we tell that story in a way that's helpful from should you actually make that transition to here are your choices to here understand the architecture to how do you actually do this to like DevOps and, and on and There's on There's been and 10 on. or so, 15 shows that we've done in the past couple months that are just about that topic basically. Yeah, it's, it's nuts. <laughs> it's like, it's like everything. And it's a big deal. I get it. It's just, it's funny, it, but it's still, people are still interested. Just like, you know, we talked about with containers, microservices stuff still mm. interesting to people so um so yeah so, the software publishing business is definitely evolving i don't think people are buying as many paper books maybe you can tell me if that's true or not but it does seem like people buy still plenty of o'reilly books maybe they're buying ebooks and people are still going to conferences plenty but how is that changing how o'reilly looks at its core business yeah, no, that's a good question. So yeah, I mean, um, I guess what I would say is people are still learning if, you know, the same as they always have, if not more, because things are changing more rapidly. And what we're finding is where, say, like, our pie back in the day would have been like half conferences and half books. It's now, um, you know, 20% books, 20% video, 20% uh, in-person training, uh, 20% eBooks, whatever, you know what I mean? So it's just, it's more diversified across how we tell that story, the, the different media. And we're still, you know, we're always working towards how do we marry that media up in different ways to be even more crystallizing for the audience. So it's, it's still about quality content. It's still about the great people that we get to work with in our network that are the experts out there. And it's about, distributing it in a way that is helpful and available and really helps people get the mm. job done. So, I mean, the the software education space is also just evolving. Um, we've done several shows about coding boot camps and online education software. What's your view for the bigger picture of this software education space? I know that O'Reilly is kind of dipping its toes into it. There are some... Uh, I think some online um, software coding platforms that O'Reilly has. I don't know, maybe you could talk about where you see this area going and what O'Reilly is going to do in it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, we really want to be able to, so I think people learn in different ways. And so we really want to be able to, if somebody wants a book or needs to look something up, you know, and wants it on their desk, we're going to have that. It, you know, but then there, you learn in a different way if you're with the person. Um, so if you're, you're in a, you know, a two day training and you can really get into it with the, um, 
the speaker and talk about, you know, specifics to what you're going through and actually work through that. That's sort of a different level. Um, and then we have, but we know that you like, you can, not everybody. I mean, I often think about this too, that with conferences, you know, there's what, like 22 million, uh, software developers, like 1% of those go to conferences. So the idea is how do you bring that experience closer to home? And either that's with sort of like regional events, that's online, so you can have some interaction. And then our newest thing is something we're calling the Oriole, which marries basically an IPython notebook where there's um, interactive code. Uh, you know, there can be videos, there can be images and stuff like that. And marrying that with a video that is synced to that material. So on this web page, you have the video of the instructor talking over text or code. Um, and we're hoping that that's something that brings together sort of the best of here's someone actually, you know, talking about something in their, their usual, um, demeanor with the running code, like with books, usually you're like, this is great, except I can't show them everything I want to. So we're trying, <laughs> we're trying to like, I guess, bring the book alive. Um, and, and that's something we're calling the, um, Oriole tutorials. Okay, well, Rachel, thanks for coming on the show. This has been a great conversation. I really enjoyed OSCON. You put together a great conference, so um, so thanks a lot. Thank you. Thanks to Symphono for sponsoring Software Engineering Daily. Symphono is a custom engineering shop where senior engineers tackle big tech challenges while learning from each other. Check it out at symphono.com slash sedaily. That's S-Y-M-P-H-O-N-O dot com slash S-E daily. Thanks again, Symphono. Wow.